Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron, and I'm one of your hosts. There are two other hosts that are joining me today, of course. Anna. Hey, what's up? And Danielson. Yo, guys. So before we start today's episode, I just want to say, like always, we do not run any ads on this show or take any money from any corporations. So if you would like to help us out, then there's a few ways that you could do that. One of the ways is Patreon. For only $5 a month, which is 16 cents a day, you can sign up to our Patreon and get an extra episode each week. These Patreon episodes are exclusive to members only. Today, we release a Patreon-exclusive episode, which is a special Theories Thursday, where we each cover some of our favorite theories of the week that we have selected. Also, we have several more episodes already locked and loaded for your listening pleasure, such as the ancient artifacts, lost treasures, the Ouija board, giants, glitches in the Matrix, Nexium Cult, Isaac Cappy, McMartin Satanic Preschool, Clinton Body Count, FEMA, and much more. In total, as of today, we have over 24 extra Patreon episodes and a ton of extra blooper reels, which you get access to all of them for just five bucks a month. Another way to support the show is through merchandise. Just teleport on over to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and click the shop button. Then you can see all the merch we have for sale. T-shirts, hats, we have hoodies now, beanies. Check it out. I just wanted to say that the money that we get from Patreon and merchandise goes to bettering the show. Also, I know things are tough out there right now, so if you can't afford a shirt or a Patreon membership, but you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes, and that helps us out a ton. If you don't want to leave one, though, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, Ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, booze, whoever or whatever you are, to enjoy the show. Also, one last thing, if any of you would like to reach out to us, then you can shoot us a message on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or you can go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, click on the contact button, and there you will find our email addresses. So today's episode is over the JFK assassination. How this episode will go today is that we will first cover a quick overview of what is the JFK assassination, then we'll go into the backstory of John F. Kennedy and him growing up. Then we'll go into the presidency, and then we'll dive into the assassination and then the timeline of the assassination, then into strange facts and findings and theories, and then, of course, wrap it all up with our own personal thoughts and theories. So with that being said, let's get into today's episode. John F. Kennedy was the 35th president of the United States. On November 22, 1963, when he was hardly past his first thousand days in office, JFK was assassinated in Dallas, Texas, becoming the youngest president to die. Many questions start arising when digging into the convicted gunman, Lee Harvey Oswald. Did he act alone, or did he have help from the CIA, Cuba, Mafia, or maybe even the local police officers? There are a lot of rumors and theories surrounding this assassination. So to understand the JFK assassination better, we have to take a trip back. Back to the early days of JFK and briefly discuss 
how he became the president of the United States. So, Anna, could you do us the honor and tell us a little bit about John F. Kennedy? John Fitzgerald Kennedy was born in Brookline, Massachusetts on May 29, 1917. He was the second of nine children. His parents, Joseph and Rose Kennedy, were members of Boston's most prominent Irish Catholic political families. John's father, Joseph, had great expectations for his children, who was taught from a young age that winning was everything. Despite his father being super tough on him, John was a pretty bad student and would often get in trouble. He attended a Catholic boys' boarding school in Connecticut called Canterbury, where he had excelled at English and history, which were the subjects he actually enjoyed the most. Now, despite John having poor grades, he continued on to Choate, which is an elite Connecticut preparatory school. There, he remained, at best, a mediocre student, preferring to concentrate on sports, girls, and practical jokes. After graduating from Choate, he spent one semester at Princeton and then transferred to Harvard University in 1936. At Harvard, he excelled in the classes he enjoyed, but was still only an average student because he preferred to concentrate on, again, sports and girls all the time. Also, just an FYI, he was incredibly popular at Harvard, and he was well-known among everyone as being nice, charming, and good-looking. Shortly after graduating from Harvard, John joined the U.S. Navy and was assigned to command a patrol torpedo boat in the South Pacific. On August 2, 1943, his boat was rammed by a Japanese warship and split in two. Two sailors died and John had badly injured his back. Even though John had this injured back, he still helped lead survivors to a nearby island, hauling them by a strap on his life vest. Six days later, they were rescued. This incident earned him the Navy and Marine Corps Medal of Extremely Heroic Conduct and a Purple Heart. Pretty badass. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know if you've slept weird and you got a twinge in your back, it's hard to even get up. Could you imagine injuring your back and then being like, hold my strap, I'm going to swim you and <laughs> several other people to the shore. And then survive there for six days with an injured back. Yeah. He ate a couple people, or they ate a couple people there. Bodies would float up, and they had to eat a couple people. You're lying. Yeah, I know. Oh, God. Yeah. (laughs) John's older brother, Joe Jr., who had also joined the Navy, was not so fortunate. In August of 1944, his plane had been blown up, and he died. Now, of course, his family was pretty torn up about this, but also his death was kind of like the thing that caused John to run for president. So before Joe Jr. had died, their father was kind of grooming him in hopes that he would become the president of the United States one day. And since Joe Jr. had died, their father and also their family kind of put their hopes and aspirations of Joe Jr. onto John in becoming the president. Of course, John would not disappoint his family. John left the Navy by the end of 1944 
and went back to Boston to prepare to run for Congress in 1946. John ran as a moderately conservative Democrat and was backed by his father's fortune. He won his party's nomination by beating his Republican opponent in the general election. JFK entered the 80th Congress in January of 1947 at the age of 29. This immediately attracted attention as well as some criticism from older members of the Washington establishment. This was because of him being so young. In 1952, he ran for the U.S. Senate against Henry Lodge Jr. and won. In the Senate, he led a fight against a proposal to abolish the Electoral College, crusaded for labor reform, and became increasingly committed to civil rights legislation. On September 12, 1953, Kennedy married journalist Jacqueline Lee Bouvier. On January 2, 1960, JFK announced his candidacy for president. He won the primaries for the Democratic nomination and went on to face the Republican opponent, Richard Nixon. In November's election, JFK barely won the election by less than 120,000 votes out of the total of nearly 70 million votes. At 43 years old, he became the first Roman Catholic to be elected president of the United States. So that is a brief summary of JFK's life and how he became president. So before we hop into the assassination, Let's quickly go over how things were whenever JFK was president. All right. So President Kennedy, together with his wife and two children, brought a new useful spirit to the White House. They invited artists, writers, scientists, poets, musicians, actors, and athletes to visit them. The White House also seemed like a fun place because of the Kennedys' two young children, Carolyn and John John. There was a preschool, a swimming pool, and a treehouse outside on the White House lawn. Now, even though President Kennedy was probably the busiest man in the country, he still found time to laugh and play with his children. Even though he was laughing and playing with his children, he had a ton of worries in the back of his mind. President Kennedy worked long hours getting up at 7 and not going to bed until 11 or 12 at night, or sometimes even later. He read six newspapers while he ate breakfast and had meetings with important people throughout the day. One of the things that President Kennedy worried about most was the possibility of nuclear war between the United States and the Soviet Union. This Cold War, which was unlike anything the world had ever seen, it was a struggle between the communist system of the Soviet Union and the democratic system of the United States. Both countries at the time extremely distrusted each other, and because of this distrust, they spent enormous amounts of money building nuclear weapons. So this wasn't the only stress that President Kennedy was going through at this time. He was also dealing with many serious problems here in the U.S. The biggest problem of all of them was the racial discrimination. At the time in 1954, the U.S. Supreme Court had ruled that segregation in public schools would no longer be permitted. Black and white children should go to school together. This was now the law of the land. However, however, there were many schools, especially in southern states, that did not obey this law. There was also racial segregation on buses, in restaurants, movie theaters, and other public places. On June 11, 1963, President Kennedy proposed a new civil rights bill to the Congress and he went on television asking Americans to end racism. 
quote, One hundred years of delay have passed since President Lincoln freed the slaves, yet their heirs, their grandsons, are not fully free. This nation was founded by men of many nations and backgrounds, and on the principle that all men are created equal. President Kennedy made it clear that all Americans, regardless of their skin color, should enjoy a good and happy life in the United States. Now that you have an idea of JFK's upbringing and how he was a president, let's get into his assassination. Now, something to keep in mind here. What we are going to tell you is the official story that history says about this assassination. We will dive into different theories and possibilities during the theory section. But as of right now, we are going to talk about the official report. Just something to keep in mind as we move forward. Yeah. Okay. On November 21st, 1963, President Kennedy and his wife had spoken in San Antonio, Austin, and Fort Worth. On November 22nd, 1963, they landed in Dallas, which was the site of his next speaking engagement. Shortly after landing in Dallas, President Kennedy and his wife traveled in a motorcade to the Dallas Trademark, which was the site of his speaking engagement. Kennedy, along with his wife and Texas Governor John Conley, rode through cheering crowds in downtown Dallas in the Lincoln Continental Convertible Motorcade. Shortly after 12.30 p.m., as the motorcade was passing through downtown Dallas, from an upstairs window of the Texas School Book Depository Building, 24-year-old warehouse worker named Lee Harvey Oswald, who was a former Marine and supposedly a Soviet sympathizer, fired his rifle upon the car. President Kennedy was struck twice, in the neck and head. The president was immediately taken to Parkland Memorial Hospital, but died shortly after. Now, I know that was a brief summary of the assassination, but before we jump into strange facts and findings, we do have a timeline that we're going to go over that kind of gives us more details about the assassination and what happened. So let's hop into that. All right, so at 7.23 a.m., Lee Harvey Oswald, an employee at the Texas Book Depository Building in Dallas, goes to work with Buell Wesley Frazier, a young worker there. Frazier asks about the long paper-wrapped package in Oswald's arms, to which Oswald says, oh, just some curtains. Fucking liar. 11.30 a.m., Air Force One lands at Love Field in Dallas, and the disembarking President Kennedy and First Lady Jackie Kennedy are met by the press and a crowd of Texans. Then at 11.45 a.m., the Kennedys join Texas Governor John Connolly and his wife, Nellie, in an open-air limousine. Vice President Lyndon Johnson and his wife rode in another limo nearby. Then around noon, the motorcade heads for downtown Dallas, passing through crowds estimated at over 150,000 people. At 12.29 p.m., as the limo enters Dealey Plaza, Nellie Connolly turned to the president and remarked, Mr. President, you can't say Dallas doesn't love you. Ho ho. Well, he even said that before, hours before he got in the car, he said it would be really easy for someone to shoot him in a crowd. See? I talk about that later in my Thoughts and Theories episode. Patreon. Patreon. Ooh. Patreon, Patreon, Patreon. So tune in to Patreon. Here. It's only $5 a month and you feed. Three very hungry people. Aaron, yes. Dan, and Anna. <laughs> Anna has started a new diet. She's bulking up. Oh, yeah. Help. Support her. <laughs> I need money for steaks. 
more sticks, <laughs> lift things up. I pick things up and put them down. Give me carbs. I like carbs. <laughs> so at 12.30 p.m., a bullet strikes the president in the back while he waves, followed by a second shot to the back of his head. Another shot severely wounds the governor. A man in the crowd, Abraham Zabruder, happens to film the sequence on his home movie camera. Which I gotta ask, have y'all seen that? That, that actual footage? Yes. Whew. Yeah. I watched it many times. 1 p.m. Doctors are, are unable to save the president, who arrived. Pretty much DOA. One says, we never had any hope of saving his life. A Catholic priest administered the last rites, and the first lady reportedly held her husband's hand and placed one of her rings onto his finger. 1 p.m. Oswald walks back to his rooming house, changes his jacket there for one more lightly colored, and heads back into the street. At 1.15, police officer J.D. Tippett pulls up to Oswald in his car after having heard of a suspect matching his description. After briefly speaking through an open window, Tippett stepped out of his car and was shot three times in the chest and once in the temple. Twelve people witnessed a man fleeing the scene. At 1.22 p.m., police find a rifle behind a stack of books in the room from which the assassin fired. 1.30, hearing sirens, Oswald ducks into the Texas theater without paying and takes a seat for the movie War is Hell. Police receive a tip from the area about a suspicious man matching their description for Tippett's murderer. At 1.33 p.m., the assistant White House press secretary announces the president's death, which the press reports in real time. 1.45 p.m., 15 police officers surround the movie theater and four officers are needed to subdue Oswald inside. At 1.51 p.m., police report him in custody. At 2 p.m., Dallas police's paraffin test confirms that Oswald recently fired a gun. Oswald's wife later confirms that, that the rifle found in the depository belonged to her husband. At 2.20, the hearse carrying the president arrives at Air Force One, with the first lady sitting next to the bronze coffin. At 2.30, interrogated for almost 12 hours, Oswald denies throughout that he had anything to do with either murder. Confronted with photos of himself holding a rifle and pistol, Oswald, quote, sneered, saying that there w they were fake photos and that they were taken by the police, that they had superimposed upon the photographs a rifle and a revolver. He eventually stops answering all the questions. So then at 2.38, Vice President Johnson is sworn in as president on JFK's Bible while standing in a cramped compartment on Air Force One, next to his wife and Mrs. Kennedy. So then at 2.47, Air Force One leaves Dallas, and as the plane approaches Washington, D.C., Mrs. Kennedy makes funeral plans, and Johnson speaks with advisors. Jackie replies to Lady Bird Johnson's suggestion to change out of her bloodstained dress by saying, Oh no, that's all right. I want them to see what they have done to Jack. So then, 7 o'clock rolls around. Air Force One lands at Andrews Air Force Base in Maryland, and Johnson meets the press, assembling outside for his first statements as president. Quote, I will do my best. That's all I can do. I ask for your help and God's. 
So then five minutes later, Robert Kennedy meets the plane, and he and Jackie go to Bethesda Naval Hospital, where the body has an autopsy and is prepared for the funeral. Then at 7.10, Oswald is charged with Tippett's murder. Then at 11.28, Oswald is formally charged with Kennedy's assassination. Two days later, on November 24th, detectives were escorting Oswald through the basement of Dallas Police Headquarters toward an armored car that was going to take him from the city jail to a nearby county jail. So then at 11.21, Dallas nightclub operator Jack Ruby approached Oswald from the side of the crowd and shot him once in the abdomen at close range. As the shot rang out, a police detective suddenly recognized Ruby and exclaimed, quote, Jack, you son of a bitch! <laughs> the fuck? Jack, you son of a bitch! You're ruining our plans! Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then the crowd outside the headquarters burst into applause when they heard that Oswald has been shot. An unconscious Oswald was taken by ambulance to Parkland Memorial Hospital, the same hospital where Kennedy was pronounced dead two days earlier. Oswald would die at 107. Jack Ruby later said he had been distraught over Kennedy's death and that his motive for killing Oswald was, quote, Saving Mrs. Kennedy the discomfiture of coming back to trial. Of course, rumors started flying around about the true motive, and this created speculation and debates over the assassination of the president as well. Alternative theories of Kennedy's assassination emerged, including theories of the KGB, mafia, and the U.S. military industrial complex, among many, many others. This caused the United States to form a commission called the Warren Commission to investigate the assassination. The commission concluded that Oswald had acted alone, even though there were some very weird findings, which brings us to strange facts and findings. So, Aaron, roll us in, my friend. I know we got some good ones. Oh, we do. So, of course, like you said, Anna. The first strange fact and finding is the Warren Commission investigation and some of the strange irregularities that they came across. So a couple of the findings the Warren Commission investigation found was that scientific acoustical evidence established a high probability that two gunmen fired at President John F. Kennedy. Other scientific evidence does not preclude the possibility of two gunmen firing at the president. Scientific evidence negates some specific conspiracy allegations. So, that's one of the weird findings. Another one is that the committee believes, on the basis of the evidence available to it, that President John F. Kennedy was probably assassinated as a result of a conspiracy. The committee is unable to identify the other gunmen are the extent of the conspiracy. The committee believes, on the basis of the evidence available to it, that the Soviet government was not involved in the assassination of the president, and the Cuban government was not involved either, that the anti-Castro-Cuban groups as groups were not involved in the assassination of President Kennedy, but that 
the available evidence does not preclude the possibility that individual members may have been involved. The committee believes on the basis of evidence available to it that the National Syndicate of Organized Crime as a group was not involved with the assassination, but the available evidence does not preclude the possibility. The Secret Service, Federal Bureau of Investigation, and Central Intelligence Agency were not involved in the assassination of President Kennedy. I like how... Let me just stop right there real quick. I like in the Warren investigation how it says the Soviet government, the Cuban government, anti-Castro Cuban groups, and some like national syndicate organized crimes. We didn't find any evidence of them doing it, but it, it doesn't preclude the possibility of individual members that may have been involved. And then at the end, when it talks about the FBI, CIA, they're like, nope, they're not involved at all. It's like, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. That's not suspicious yeah. at all. Yep. And they obviously didn't look very hard because even average Joe podcasters could find connections. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and how, long, how big did you say this Warren Commission report was, Dan? 960 pages. <laughs> yeah, we aren't going to go over this entire investigation. There's just some bullet points that we're going to hit. Yeah, another thing that the Warren Commission said was that the Secret Service was deficient in the performance of its duties that they had possessed information that was not properly analyzed, investigated, or used by the Secret Service in connection with the president's trip to Dallas. In addition, Secret Service agents in the motorcade were inadequately prepared to protect the president from a sniper. They also said the responsibility of the Secret Service to investigate the assassination was terminated when the FBI assumed primary investigation, investigative responsibility. Um, just some other things that they said in the Warren Commission was that the Department of Justice failed to uh, exercise initiative in supervising and directing the investigation by the FBI of the assassination, that um, the FBI adequately investigated Lee Harvey Oswald prior to the assassination and properly evaluated the evidence it possessed to assess his potential to endanger the public safety in a national emergency. That uh, pretty much the FBI investigated Lee Harvey Oswald completely and failed to adequately figure out that he was going to assassinate the president. And that the FBI was deficient in sharing their information with other agencies. Um, They also said that the CIA was deficient in its collecting and sharing of information both prior and subsequent to the assassination. But yeah, those those are just some of the weird findings in the Warren Commission. And even though they said all of that, they still said that Lee Harvey Oswald was the killer and that he acted alone. But when you start digging through the files of the Warren Commission, it says otherwise. So that's just one of the first strange facts and findings. What what other ones do y'all have for us? So like like we said in that Oswald was under surveillance by the FBI. He's They knew that, you know... The FBI already had done their research on the guy, yet they knew that the president was about to come through with Secret Service. The FBI never contacted the Secret Service to let them know, hey, the route you're taking has this guy, which is a poten- possibly a potential threat. So, of course, the communication right there was very bad. Then Oswald was actually a Russian citizen, a Russian citizen, because in 1959, he was in Russia and tried to renounce his American citizenship. And that was after he left the military, right? Correct. And I believe that he married a Russian woman. Hmm. Yes, he left and came back married. Mm-hmm. And wasn't he trying to be a part of the CIA during that time, too? 
Was he? I don't know. Well, you know, in that documentary you had showed me, I thought that he was trying to be a part of the CIA or applied for it, and then they sent him on a mission there, and then he came back with a wife. Oh, did not know that. Man, that documentary was really good, Aaron. That Jesse Ventura, he's a fucking boss, huh? Yes. beast. Next strange fact. Contents of Oswald's missing KGB file. So, just after the fall of the Soviet Union, a whole mess of KGB files were opened to researchers for a brief time. One of the files that came across was labeled file number 31451, and it detailed about Oswald's time in the USSR. As a defector, Oswald was considered a huge interest by the KGB, but sadly for Oswald, they thought he was useless. I said, when I, some of the stuff I read, it was like his shooting was subpar. Mm-hmm. His knowledge yeah. was sub, like pretty much he was just like an average person. They're just like, you're nothing special. Why would we want you? Yeah. But and even, this was, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, even Jesse Ventura used to be a marksman and he tested the amount of time it took to shoot off those rounds. And it took him 11 seconds when the reports say it took Harvey Six seconds in some time. And that's with a guy who isn't... For one, he had the lowest level that you could be as a sniper. Harvey did. Two, he was shooting at a moving vehicle. And they just said that his skill was not to that level. Yeah, with the type of gun he was using and Jesse Ventura when he was trying to redo the shooting... Is no way, man. There had to be either multiple shooters or something else funky going on, which I kind of, it kind of leads us to theories, right? I mean, we can kind of talk about theories and kind of open discuss what we found out throughout our research and what could have happened. I'm trying to think if there's any other strange facts. I've got a lot in my thing. I know, I was going to say, his wife said that the picture wasn't doctored. Of him holding the gun and like the um, ticket vouchers or he had papers in his hand. She said that she took that picture because Oswald told him that he had to take that picture. Well, told her he had to take this picture. And so she believes now because initially she actually thought that he really did do it all by herself because she was listening to what the government told her. But eventually she started realizing some stuff. She believes that he was told to take that picture so they could use it against him after he had killed Kennedy. They could make it look like he was a part of the KGB or CIA or whatever their route that they were going to take. That he had already been planning to kill the president. I know he, uh, somewhere I read that he bought that gun for back in that time for 1999. <laughs> Which, Good deal. that's what I thought that picture was, was, you know, him, like, saying, like, I just bought this gun for this much. So, honestly, I don't know if that's a good deal back then, but right now, that's a hell of a deal. Just, just saying. <laughs> yes. So, they say it takes ele- more than 11 seconds to, or, how many seconds did it take Ventura to shoot three it shots? It took him, like, 11 seconds, but it took Lee Harvey Oswald a little over six. Okay. That makes sense, yeah. Let's say, because, you know, you got a, it's a bolt action, but it did have a clip in it where the bullets go inside. 
to where once you eject one, next one goes in. But it also kind of stuck, too. Like, it wasn't an easy, like, today's bolt action, it's up, push, back. Like, even Jesse had trouble pushing the bolt through. Sounds like Ventura's a bitch. <laughs> you tell him that, he'll put you in the headlock. That's if he can get to me, because my guns don't jam. Ooh, oh, fuck. <laughs> no, I, I could see when that, that could happen, though. Yeah. All right, what's one of the first theories we have? Who wants to start us off with that? I'll do the first one. Okay. All right, so the first theory that we have, pretty much the Soviets. The Soviets seem like an obvious choice if you're looking for a dark hand behind Kennedy's assassination. Proponents of the theory point to two pieces of evidence. First, the U.S. and the Soviet Union were engaged in a bitter Cold War. Conspiracy theorists allege that the Soviet premier Nikita Khrushchev was so embarrassed by having to back down following the Cuban Missile Crisis, he ordered the hit on Kennedy. The other compelling piece of evidence is Lee Harvey Oswald's connection to the USSR. Though a former Marine, Oswald had twice visited the Soviet Union with his Russian-born wife, Marina. Both the Warren Commission and the House Committee on Assassinations found little evidence to support a Soviet-backed operation, but one former KGB agent came out years later to say that the Russians played a role in the plot. I don't know. I don't know about that one. It's a little, little iffy. Yeah. Could it be the mafia? I don't know. You tell me. Could it be the I was about mafia? to say, someone needs to read it just like yes. that. You come to me on the day of my granddaughter's birth. <laughs> <Like> that. <laughs> Honestly, I've never my seen Godfather. My granddaughter's wedding? Yes. We will take him out after we eat our spaghetti. Our, our spaghetti. <laughs> and tiramisu. All right, so this much we know is true. The CIA had contacts with organized crime families to discuss assassinating the president. Only the president was Cuba's Fidel Castro, not Kennedy. The mob was heavily invested in casinos and other lucrative investments in Cuba before Castro's communist revolution. According to one iteration of the theory, Kennedy botched the Bay of Pigs invasion ended any hopes of American organized crime returning to Cuba and enraged the mafia. Furthermore, the mob did not like Kennedy's crusading younger brother, Attorney General Robert Kennedy, and hoped the younger brother would lose his influence if his brother was killed. One version of the theory has the CIA, who had already contacted the mob about killing Castro, asking the mafia to carry out the Kennedy hit. In another version, the mob is paid to kill Kennedy by anti-Castro Cubans. Many proponents of this conspiracy theory point to Jack Ruby, the Dallas nightclub owner with known mafia connections. He was the one who killed Lee Harvey Oswald two days after, the, uh, after Oswald's arrest. So the Warren Commission cleared the mafia from involvement in any such plot. The House Committee on Assassinations found that the Mafia was not involved in a conspiracy, but did not rule out that individuals with mob ties were part of the plot. They're so contradictory. Yeah, they are. Yeah. yeah. We don't want to say yes or no, so we'll just play in the middle. Yeah. Which that just reminded me of the strange fact that I was thinking. Which Let's hear it. I'll, Let's hear it. I'll ask you, make sure, because I don't know if it's in yours yet. During his... Inter- interrogation 
Did you know that they did not do any recordings or write down any notes? Usually interrogations by like the FBI, police and all that, they always have something recording. They decided not to record anything or write down anything from that. You know that tra- them transporting it, the police or whatever, transporting them to that jail, it was never mm-hmm. done that way. It was only done that way at that time for, quote unquote, a photo op. And that's when he was shot. Mm. Mm. No, I did not know that. I knew there was something I was missing. Mm-hmm. Damn. I hope they got a good photo op, right? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, they did. Hope they got the right shot. Oh, yes. With the puns. All right. So this next theory we're going to cover is the Cubans. Okay. So given that the U.S. agents tried to assassinate Cuban President Fidel Castro, who is also the father of uh, Justin Trudeau in Canada. (laughs) We know that guy. (laughs) uh, The theory goes is that Castro decided he would repay the honor and try to assassinate Kennedy. Perhaps the most famous proponent of the Cuban theory was President Lyndon Johnson, the man who who would take over as a president following Kennedy's assassination. Kennedy was trying to get to Castro, but Castro got to him first, Johnson told ABC News in 1968. Both the Warren Commission and the House Committee on, on Assassinations cleared the Cubans of any involvement, and when Castro was interviewed by Bill Mowers in 1977, he called the theory absolute insanity. But my son is Justin Trudeau, as he said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he quoted with air quotes. So there were more than one president that were wrapped up in Kennedy's assassination. Nixon was one, and you could even bring George Bush into it as well. Oh, shit. I know. But I think we just need to do an episode on the Bushes, the Bush family. There's a lot of dirtiness in there. Mm. Love a dirty Bush. (laughs) Shut (laughs) Gross. That's a a pun. Uh, All right. So in 1959, he started this Operation 40, which was a hit squad that was meant to take out Fidel Castro when he first took over Cuba. So after the Bay of Pigs failed when they stormed Cuba, they thought they could pin the assassination on Castro and get rid of him, but that didn't work. So Operation 40 continued until 1970 and only stopped because an aircraft carrying cocaine and heroin was crashed in California that was believed to be linked to the U.S. government trafficking drugs. (laughs) What the hell? Damn. (laughs) So... So basically, 40 oh. dudes, they were like, oh, the Bay, of Pil- the Bay of Pigs failed. Let's throw in 40 more extra men with Operation 40 to try to, to take it over again. It failed. We can't pin it on Castro. Well, we'll just continue to run this organization for another tw- uh, 10 years, 10, 11 years, and only go down. Well, you know, it's it stopped going under that name. They changed it or whatever, but... Yeah, because of fucking carrying drugs. Typical. I know. I bet I bet Hillary Clinton did it. <laughs> she was starting starting early. It was her. It was all her. Miss Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. The next theory we have is Lyndon Johnson did it. You know, he comes up in a lot of these. Mm-hmm. He does. Who had the most to gain from killing Kennedy? Lyndon Johnson. 
the man who became president. The gist of the theory is that Johnson was motivated by ambition and received help from members of the CIA and wealthy tycoons who believed they would profit more under a Johnson administration. Oh, sounds like America. According to one version of the theory, Johnson was aided in the plot by another man who would become president, George H.W. Bush, a CIA official who happened to be in Dallas on the day of the assassination. Uh-huh. Oh, that one seems more plausible. I mean, the, the Operation 40 and then the Lyndon Johnson, it's like, who benefits the most? You know, and speaking of the CIA, Aaron, what's the next theory? Oh, well, of course, the next one is the CIA had involvement, had a hand in this, right? So in nearly every theory that evolves, involves, you know, all the ones that we talk about, uh, there's one group that continually pops up, and that's, of course, the CIA. So the CIA is like the boogeyman. Its workings and agents are secret to most everybody in the United States and in the world. And the agency in the 1960s kind of had a reputation for high-level political assassinations. So this one theory suggests that Oswald was a CIA operative and agents tampered with his FBI file before and after the investigation to make it appear he was a communist and a lone wolf. In its 1978 report, the House Select Committee on Assassinations found that there was no indication that Oswald, quote-unquote, had ever had contact with the agency. But uh-huh. eh, it's debatable. I mean... Didn't, didn't, like, the files on the JFK assassination that the FBI had, did they go missing or were they burned? Mm-hmm. I read somewhere I think they went missing or something like that. I think I had heard that that some of them were withheld or they disappeared. Yeah. So after looking it up real quick, um, October 26th of 2017, October 26th of 2017, uh, they were supposed to, the government was supposed to release a lot of files on the assassination of JFK. Um, However, one batch of the CIA records that covered Lee Harvey Oswald went missing right before the declassification. Surprise, (laughs) surprise. Oh, Oh, God, God, we don't know where we place that one today. Oh, shit. We're supposed to release it? Oh, God. What do we do? What do we do? Those weren't files. We never had those. (laughs) Yeah. Fucking. That's a red flag, you know. Sounds like they need a new secretary at the CIA. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Earl Warren was made into a Supreme Court justice after he did the Warren Commission report. Seems like people who go get, a, you know, play along get promoted. Yeah. Hey, when you can write a 960 page book of bullshit, yeah, you're going to get promoted. It's true. I mean, that's a lot of work. God, there was somebody else. I, re- I Was it Gerald Ford in that time? I wish I remembered all this. I should have wrote it down. So I want to say that Gerald Ford changed some of the documentation on what actually happened during the assassination. And that is what got him to be chosen to be the next president. And then Earl Warren was made Supreme Court Justice for writing the Warren Commission report. 
Aaron, I know you've said this before, you do things dirty and you get promoted for it. Yep. Some exactly. sketchy shit. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which, of course, makes me think of Bohemian Grove and how they just, like, they already know who's going to be the president because they discussed it at Bohemian Grove and that's how George, both senior and junior, got their position in the presidency. Exactly. I can't wait to do that episode. I look up Oswald's gun to try uh, to find the Italian rifle so I can see what it looked like. Oh Someone's just God. like, Houston police releases the image of Lee Haas- Harvey Oswald's rifle. Literally a fucking Nerf gun. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good Nerf gun, but come on. Oh, it looks badass. I mean, I think th- when I think of the gun, I think of it as like a gun from the Cold War. Like Call of Duty Cold War. But you put a scope on it, and then you're good it to go. It is a... 1940 6.5 millimeter M91 38 bolt action Italian made something. I don't know how to say that. Man electric Carcano. I mean, I would love to have one of those guns, just not his gun, because obviously it's been used to set people up. <laughs> All right. I got a theory. Are you all ready for it? Oh, yeah. Blow my mind. Okay. All right. I labeled this theory Doko. And it's a two-parter, okay? So as I sat there on my couch today, knowing that we were going to have to discuss this topic, I thought to myself, how far is that book depository in Dallas to Oak Cliff? Because Oak Cliff, of course, is where Lee Harvey Oswald shot J.D. Tippett. I used to drive all up and down 35 on Dallas, and of course I'd pass up Oak Cliff, and then you would get into Dallas. And I thought to myself, that seems pretty far. So then I said, I gotta crunch some, I gotta crunch some numbers and see if it was physically possible for Lee Harvey Oswald to walk from the book depository and be at the East 10th Street in Oak Cliff by the time he supposedly shot J.D. Tippett. He the other police walk. officer. He drove, didn't he? He took a bus so, and then a taxi and then... So, there's multiple Can't things out there. So, before we get into that, okay. I crunched the numbers to walking, right. right? It was physically impossible for him to walk that. The amount of time it takes for you to walk that exact route is around 50 to 55 minutes. It's only 2.7 miles, but it is a fucking long... It's it's a weird walk around downtown Dallas and all that. So it would take him around 50 to 55 minutes. Now, there's different reports of what time J.D. Tippett was shot. There's one report that is 1.04 p.m., another one that's 1.11 p.m., and another one that's 1.15 p.m. But a lot of the JFK reports that I was reading was that JFK last shot was... The last shot that was that hit JFK was at 12.30 p.m. So even if you take the 12.30 p.m. into 1.04 p.m. or 1.11 or 1.15, it's still 34 minutes, 41 minutes, or 45 minutes. Which, unless Lee Harvey Oswald is fucking running, which I don't see him running 2.7 or 2.9, 2.7 miles, that or 2.6 miles, in that time, I just don't see him running that. I see him walking. So then I was like, oh, well, I got to debunk that. Did he walk? Did he ride a bus? So then I started reading like what you said, Anna. He took a bus. 
And then I read that he took a vehicle. And then I read that he didn't take a bus because there's no videos of him taking a bus. And then I thought to myself, was there even fucking videos of CCT security cameras back then? So then I, I went down this whole rabbit hole of did he get on a bus? Did he not get on a bus? Some people say he did. Some people say he didn't. So then I, I had to throw that to the side. I had to say, let me dig into J.D. Tippett and see what happened there. And if it was truly Lee Harvey Oswald that killed him. And if so, why did he kill him? And why wasn't J.D. Tippett? The president just got shot. All police officers were called to downtown. Why was he in fucking Oak Cliff in normal patrol? So anyways, so that leads me to the second part of this theory. So to give you a little bit of background of J.D. Tippett, he was one of the very few officers in Dallas, uh, in Dallas's police force that was not called to the plaza to help investigate the assassination. Instead, he was told to go back to the Oak Cliff section of Dallas and just do his normal patrol. So we all know shortly after 1 p.m., Officer Tippett approached a man that was supposedly thought to be Lee Harvey Oswald. What happens next was described by an individual named Domingo Benavidez. Domingo Benavidez testified that he watched Officer Tippett and Oswald talk for a short while, and then Oswald pull out a handgun and fire four shots at Tippett. And this is where the official claims come from, from this Benavidez guy. But there are some inconsistencies, okay? Another witness, Aquila Clemens, was sitting on her porch, which was located on a house very close by, and claimed that there wasn't one man who attacked Tippett, there was two. Another witness, Helen Markham, also saw the killing. However, she described the killer as being short, fat, and had slightly bushy hair, which Lee Harvey Oswald was not that at all. Another witness named Warren Reynolds did not see the shooting, but was one street over and saw a, the gunman running from the scene of the crime, and he claimed the man was not Oswald. Now, Frank Wright was another person who lived along the street from where the spot where Tippett was killed and heard the shots as he sat in his living room. While his wife called 911 for help, Wright went straight to his front door. He later told researchers that, and I quote, I was the first person out and caught sight of Tippett in time to see him roll over once and then lie still. Wright also said, I saw a man standing in front of the car. He was looking towards the man on the ground. I couldn't tell who the man was on the ground. The man who was standing in front of him was just about medium height. He had a long coat. It ended just above his hands. I didn't see any gun. He ran around to the passenger side of the police car. He ran as fast as he could, and he got into his car. He got in that car, and he drove away as fast as he could. After that, a whole lot of police showed up. I tried to tell two or three of them what I saw. They didn't pay any attention to me. I've, I then watched what came out on the television and in the newspaper, but I know that's not what happened. I know a man drove off in a gray car. Nothing in the world is going to change my mind and what I saw that day. Now, I know what you're saying. Oh, man, 
witness testimonies, you know, they can change. But listen to this shit. This shit gets even weirder, okay? So Tippett was shot how many times? Four. Four, right? Okay. When the police arrived there, they found four cartridges casings that were laying on the ground near the scene of the murder of Tippett. The casings were supposedly of that of Oswald's revolver. Now, Dan, I got a question for you. You know know a lot about guns. Nothing, nothing about, nothing, not that you don't, Anna, but Dan, does this seem a little funny to you? And Anna, does it seem funny to you as well that there's revolver casings on the ground? Go ahead, Anna. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I would say for one, if I was a murderer, I'd pick up my casings if I had them come out of my gun. That would be like number one. If I want to get away with murder, you take your evidence with you. Now. The problem with okay. that, it's a good good thing. But revolvers, when you fire a gun, the casings do not come out. They stay in the chamber. It just rotates. It doesn't eject. They're not automatic. So to get the casings out, you have to pop the side and then empty it and then load in each bullet. So don't you find that a little funny? Sounds like he was gloating after he shot him. If, if that was the case. They don't eject their casings. This means that whoever killed J.D. Tippett would have had to open the chamber with his gun and manually eject the cases, which seemed odd because he still had two unused bullets, right? Because six rounds. So Usually six rounds. I don't see how someone deliberately would stop and discard four vital pieces of evidence at the scene of the crime and then, and then run off. So what does this all mean? This is my opinion of what truly happened after looking at this. J.D. Tippett was a dirty cop who personally knew Oswald and Jack Ruby. Four witnesses at Dobbs House Restaurant in Dallas recalled that J.D. Tippett and Lee Harvey Oswald were acquaintances and were seen eating breakfast there on many occasions. Additionally, witness Earl Crater said that he had seen Oswald, Jack Ruby, and Tippett eat breakfast together at the Pig and Whistle restaurant on numerous occasions. I believe that J.D., Oswald, and Jack Ruby all were part of the CIA and all participated in the assassination of JFK along with other actors in the government. That there were multiple shooters, but the Warren Commission couldn't let this leak out. That they had to stick to the one-shooter story. So why do I keep mentioning J.D. Tippett? He was murdered by some CIA assets. Oswald was framed for his murder so that they could use J.D. Tippett's body as autopsies, photos, to cover their tracks that there was a one shooter. Now, the reason I say this is because if they used JFK's real body, it would have shown multiple shooters during the autopsy but they use J.D. Tippett's body. So to add to this theory, there was a time frame where both of their bodies were at Parkland Hospital. And to add even more theory or more weirdness to it, I'm going to send you a picture on Discord of J.D. Tippett and JFK side by side. Whoa. Okay, okay. I see a slight resemblance. You know, it's funny because when I looked at JFK's autopsy photos, I thought that doesn't look like him. And 
I get that, like, when your soul leaves your body, a lot of you leaves with it. But I still felt like it didn't look like him. Now I understand why. Or could understand why it would be. God, that's oddly similar. So that's my theory behind the whole JFK assassination. I want to add something to that to maybe even further. Let's hear it. Oh, do it. When JFK was shot, there was one official report given of a shooter on the sixth floor of the book place saying that the shooter was 5'10", and short hair, gave a description of the guy. From the ground, looking up six stories, knowing how tall this guy was in his description. Do you know who that guy was? George Bush. It was J.D. Tippett. Really? It was. I talk about it tomorrow. Yeah. (laughs) He was the one who gave the report to say who to look for as the suspect. And then that's what they gave out on the radio. And then that's who they he ended up. I didn't know until later that he got shot by him. Wait, so that means J.D. Tippett and possibly Oswald made it all the way to that area that, in that amount of time, though? Yeah. So that would, if there was, if let's say that there was a second shooter. The lady did see two. That would make sense that Oswald got in a car, a gray car, that took him over there. And then all that happened. Tippett was already in a car, too, because he had his police car. So he could get over there in less than 50 minutes as well. I mean, I... <laughs> of course, as you're saying this, I'm like, I can't wait to drop this knowledge nugget on this motherfucker right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I talk about him tomorrow, or well, I guess in the Patreon episode, when I go into the 100-year curse of... Of uh, JFK and Lincoln coincidences. Dang. Ooh, I can't wait. It's really good, but yeah, so, and then when you're talking about that they were friends and stuff, like, or not friends, sorry, that they had didn't lunch and breakfast, they'd, he's going to know how tall Lee Harvey is because of the fact that he spent time with him, he knows him, he could just say, oh, dude's 5'10", like, he, he knows how to describe a guy he knows. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. (laughs) So, legit, as you were reading this, or as we were doing this episode, it clicked in my head. I was just like, you know, this sounds like like something I've seen before. I know y'all had to see the movie Sniper. Uh, no. With, um, oh, what's his name? Chris Kyle? No. Shooter. That's the movie. Shooter. Have y'all seen that? No. With uh, Mark Wahlberg? No. no, I hate Mark Wahlberg. Okay. Now, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> okay. So his movie Shooter, he's a sniper. And they have the president meeting with uh, some other foreign political person. I think it's like some other like president somewhere. And he helps the C. I think it's the CIA or some government group try to figure out uh, sniper locations. Like, yeah, he could be shot from this place at this time or over here. These would be places I'd do it. The government went to his place to try to recruit him for this. They ended up stealing his gun and setting him up 
to look like he shot it because he was going around taking pictures of locations and stuff for them to be like, this is where, if you know it was possible, this is what would happen. And then the day of, he's watching the location he thinks it is. Gunshot comes from somewhere else. He is set up because the cop, the cop with him sucks. is crooked, working with the government, pulls the gun and shoots him. He escapes, though. But literally, this is reminding me of that movie so much. Like, that's what my theory, I think, is. It was one of the government groups. They set Oswald up. Now, considering he's a ex-Marine and pretty much, you know, he was over in Russia and all that. They set him up. They weren't going to let him live either way. But he wanted to try to prove his innocence. So he tried to get away. That cop, Tippett, tried to stop him and he had to get away. Which, sadly, he didn't get away. He got caught, though. But he ended up killing Tippett. But just like that movie, like, it, it fits in so perfect. The fact that they took his gun, they set it up, they find his gun behind books in the, on the sixth floor. Then, oh, look at that. Three shells on the ground here. These must, this must have been it. Oh, it's, it's even Oswald's gun. Well, look at that. That's him. It's, it has to be him. And they already had his description. Because they already knew who they were pinning it on. And the fact that he, he wasn't even up there to shoot. That's how he got across town so fast is Tippett was already following him. So he's probably off doing something or got off work early, you say. So I'm thinking he was set up perfectly just like this damn movie. I don't care what anybody says. That's what I'm going with because it's hilarious. I like that, Dan. <laughs> I've never seen that movie, but it definitely makes me want to go watch it now. Compare it. it. It's actually a really good movie. It, it kind of reminds me of John Wick. Because the sad part is, they did kill his dog, too. Oh. Why so always he, the dog? Hey, and that's one reason why he decides, like, all right, I'm going to prove my innocence and I'm coming after you guys. Oh, he, he goes oh. ham in that movie. Ah, so good. But yeah, that's literally, this whole thing reminds me of that movie. Think he was set up. I think you hit it right on the head. He's he was the perfect guy. He ex marine. He wanted to leave. He wanted to renounce his American citizenship and be in Russia. He married a Russian woman and all that. But the fact that they wouldn't let him renounce his American citizenship and all that, he probably had to come back. And he came back with a wife. And they're just like, well, he talked with the KGB over there. He's been over there multiple times. We could pin this on the Soviet if we wanted to. Well, that's yeah. not a bad thought because hmm. at that time yeah. we were dealing with the Cold War. So give us further ammunition to mm -hmm. try to go and attack Russia. Shit. Maybe. What about you, Anna? What's your what's your thoughts on it? I mean, I don't really think I have anything better than what you guys had to say because really my thoughts is that it is our own government who plotted it. Plotted it. Our own government who plotted it all. I don't know why that was so hard to say. Because even, oh, what was the guy, Tom, the guy who was right next to JFK, the, a bystander. Oh, Connolly. What's his name? Oh, the bystander. Is it the bystander? He was a, just a, a regular citizen on the road, and he had this young son with him and his wife and another child. He, and he never was questioned right. by the Warren he, Commission at all. And right. to what he saw. Um, he did get 
interviewed by the FBI, but when they were doing the actual Warren Commission, they never came to him. But he even said he heard shots come from behind him, which would have been on the grassy knoll. Like everyone had all the regular people, the citizens said that that's where shots came from. It was strongly encouraged by other people that it came from the sixth floor book. Um, I was going to say suppository. <laughs> Depository. But oh, that also makes a lot of sense for where Kennedy... If, if Kennedy was shot up on the grassy knoll, the way that the bullet hit him, his head went back into the left. That would have made more sense than being shot from behind at the book warehouse or whatever you want to call it. He would have gone forward and he might have, they could have, oh shit, sorry, I hit my mic. I think it was more than one shooter because he did have a shot that came through the back of his neck, back neck through throat, right? Am I? Yes. That would have been the guy from the bookstore. And then the kill shot was the one on the grassy knoll that hit him in the head which would have caused that back into the left trajectory of his head. Um, the first shot is what, what also shot the, oh, the guy that was sitting in front of him. Names are slipping me today. John Conley? The governor that was, Texas governor know. that was sitting in front of him? Yeah, it was Conley that got shot. It's super weird that there, was, there were no secret service walking along the back of the car like up against it there just wasn't it was a perfect shot for anyone to have shot him from anywhere i mean he had no protection like i said earlier he even said oh it'd be easy to shoot me from a crowd um it's it's so i was just gonna say 80 percent of witnesses recalled hearing three shots Hmm. all right now i'm gonna jump in talking about Connolly being shot I almost forgot this. You reminded me, Anna. Y'all have heard of the magic bullet, right? Like the blender? No, no the magic bullet is the one oh, that wait. went yeah, yeah. through Kennedy's back, through his throat, into Connelly. Connelly's back, bounced around in his chest, came out, went through his wrist to break his wrist, and then landed in his thigh. And this bullet is, was 100% intact. The bullet doing through that much and staying intact, I call bullshit. For one, I've never seen a bullet do that. I'm not saying that it's not possible, but I, to stay intact here, here's a picture of it. I mean, the only thing I could think, maybe a 22 would do the that? The bullet. No, the, they show the bullet and it is not a 22 round. It's Dude, look at that. That's the magic bullet. Yeah, that's it. Now. Oh, Good lord. So now this kind of furthers my theory, like it's been set up. Cause I'm going back to the movie Shooter. They took the bullet that he used when he was uh he was practicing at his home shooting his rifle. They went out to where he was shoot- target shooting, like a mile away, and they picked up the bullet that he used to shoot like cans and stuff. And that's the bullet that they're saying this is what killed the president or killed the guy. And it came from his gun. So yes, it did come from his gun. But it's not the bullet that was killed him. So that's what I'm thinking this one is. This is a bullet that was shot in like one of those, uh, I don't know if y'all have ever like, seen NCIS. Oh yeah. They have one of those little gun 
block things where that you can put the gun in and shoot it and it stops the bullet so you could take the bullet out and look at it. I'm thinking they used something like that. I don't know if that was out back then, but to have a bullet that perfectly intact. Well, there was, I'm, it's just I'm crazy. looking for the guy's name. There was a certain guy who did this experiment. He set up a experiment to show that how one bullet could have done all that. And he did this specifically for the Warren Commission report to further, you know, confirm in my mind with you, Dan, that it was set up because, in my opinion, the Warren Commission report was set out to try to debunk everything that was very obvious against the government. Oh, what was his? Oh, um, Arlen Specter, later a U.S. senator for Pennsylvania. This theory uh, says that a single bullet known as you know, Exhibit 399 that you showed us caused all the wounds to the governor and the non-fatal wounds to the president, which totals up to seven entry and exit wounds in both men. That makes Yeah, seven. And this would have been the bullet fired from the sixth floor of the book depository. That bullet is too fucking clean. Yes. And not fragmented because... It went through bone to shatter the governor's wrist and all that. And then like bounce around inside and then come out. <sighs> it breaks it down in this. It's, this is what, Wiki, what Wikipedia says even about it. So it passed through President Kennedy's neck, went through, and, uh, went through Governor Connolly's chest, through his wrist, embedded itself in, governor, in his thigh. And if this is so... This bullet traversed 15 layers of clothing, 7 layers of skin, and approximately 15 inches of muscle tissue, struck a necktie knot, removed 4 inches of rib, and shattered a radius bone. Oh, and that the bullet was found on a gurney in the corridor at the Parkland Memorial Hospital after the assassination. On the gurney. Not in his thigh, just on the gurney. So this bullet fucking magically popped out of his thigh as well this bullet became a key exhibit for com for the commission its copper jacket was completely intact while the bullet's nose appeared normal the tail was compressed laterally on one side and the magic bullet is part of the hmm. single bullet theory yeah that's what i'm looking at right now that's a bunch of bullshit oh my gosh yep so I agree. It's the shooter. It's the movie shooter. I'm telling you. If y'all watch it, you're literally going to sit there and be like, holy shit, this is what exactly happened. Probably not exactly, but it's going to be very similar. Very similar. Mm -hmm. God, that. Oh, man, that's that's crazy. Uh, yeah. Corruption. Right. Corruption. It's all falling, guys. Don't worry. Yep. The evil will be gone before we know it. That's right. Mm -hmm. One day. If y'all didn't really know, Bigfoot won the election. <laughs> yes. He had it stole from him. <laughs> He's doing all of his work from behind the scenes. That's right. Yeah. All right. So do y'all have any more you want to add to this before we roll on to shout outs? Nope. 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 All right. Well, that's the end of today's episode. Uh, I guess we're going to do a couple shout outs and then roll out. Um, so... I guess I'll start first this week on shout outs. Uh, I got a couple of them on Instagram I wanted to give. 
I uh, wanted to shout out C's, uh, Mr. Too Easy, Tanya, uh, Black Bob with Black Designs, uh, DG, uh, Anthony Morales, Whitney Edwards, and uh, Cardi B. Yes, the verified Cardi B. Duke, Adam B, Deb W, and Ryan S. Thank you all for your love and support. Send you the love right back to you. I hope everybody on Instagram that's following us has an amazing week. And I love you all. All right. Who's going next? I'm ready. Go for it. All right. Yeah, I forgot to tell y'all, Cardi B followed us, and she sent us a message that she loved our podcast. I said, Did you say, show me that WAP? Is it the real Cardi B? No. It's like, show me that show me that WAP. I want to see it in real life, please. Ooh. Um, okay, so I got an amazing email from a guy called Josh, and I think this might... I, I'm going to give this the most genuine email message sweetness I've ever received. So he said, Anna, I love your theories and don't care what everyone says. You're badass with a beautiful voice and an astronomically wonderful, brilliant mind. Just keep being you. Your jokes and humor are so funny. Just keeps me smiling and how you deliver the information with like a wonder in your voice just plants little knowledge nuggets in my mind that get me thinking. Just want to say you're my tropical goddess of love. Stay true to you and do you and stay woke. Very nice. Like such a sweet. I definitely really, really appreciated that. I've emailed him back and he's definitely spoke more to me about it. But, I, you know, I won't go into the, the personals. But I really love that this show can help you feel like yourself and that you embrace well, I'm going to say your awkward side, because that's what makes us unique is to embrace the parts that make us different to other people. And I'm looking forward to seeing you on Discord. So if you guys see Creepster420 on there, make sure you holler at him. He should be joining, I'm going to guess here in the next couple of days, I sent him an invite, but super genuine guy. He's our age. And uh, so he definitely gets our generational humor. So thank you for that. That really, really made my week, and I appreciate it greatly. Um, on Twitter, I have Near Fall Network sent us a gif of, or gif of um Keanu Reeves, like bowing, like yeah, like that's all it is. It's just that, like my love. Thank you. Uh, we have a lot of new followers. Danny Montes. Uh, Android 17. We got a new listener called Mr. Higgs on Twitter. Gave us a flexing and a new listener. Appreciate the love, man. Uh, those conspiracy guys liked some of our tweets. Appreciate you guys. Uh, Grandin, Gracie Thatcher, Cypher and Equality, and Jennifer Lynn Walker retweeted some of our tweets. Guy called Eric followed us. Good old Benji's recommending Atlantis, but don't you worry, Benji, that's coming season three, and you won't have to wait too long for that one. Illy, Neil, Ricky, Adam Burgess, Senpai, 
and the lion dog face pony soldier. All of them started following us. God, hold on, I got an email from a chick yesterday. So she sent me a a fucking haunted doll. And it's believed that this is the story of where they got the story for Chucky. Mm. And so she sent it to me and I watched it and I was like, ooh, I'm going to save that. It's not a very long story, so it, I'd have to probably find like a couple. But the creepy thing about it is that she didn't tell me that Chucky was at the very end of it. Like they, it's all fine and dandy. And they're like, then they get the story of this from Chucky called Charles. And then they showed his picture. And I was like, woman, you should have told me, you know, I don't like to see his face now. I've been fighting to not have him in my dreams for many, many years. <laughs> that did not help. So, Kelsey, that's who it was. Yes, Kelsey. And I think that Erin, she actually sent you an email with a video from somebody, from the same chick that did the video of the Robert doll, who also did the Silent Twins, coincidentally. I didn't know that until after I'd watched the Robert doll thing. But yeah, so she messaged me personally, and I was actually talking to her back and forth, and I was like... Gotta fucking warn me next time when there's a damn Chucky doll. She probably hasn't listened to the ep- the Patreon. She doesn't pay for Patreon. Oh yeah, she's, say, she's a she's a page. Oh wait, she did see. Yep, she did listen to dreams, and she's like, "Oh, I should have thought of that." But I believe that that's all. Oh, you know what? No, I gotta. Sh- how can I forget this, man? Okay, so I gotta give a shout out to my man Fernando on Discord. He has really, really helped me a shit ton with getting my eating on a healthier track. And I haven't weighed myself. I'm going to wait till like a week of being on my new diet. But I went to the grocery store. I bought kombucha. I did not buy like any boxed meals besides Kodak protein pancakes. I have not like ever done that before. I bought tons of veggies. I bought all like actual healthy stuff to try to get me to be healthier. And he made me a meal plan. He like really helped me out. And I like sincerely appreciate it because it has, it's helped me a lot. And this week has been really rough mentally for me. And I just keep like, I think about the work he put in to make me be able to have these meal ideas. And that motivates me to eat because also I've spent a shit ton of money on groceries and I'm like, I can't let them go to waste. But I've been making steak every night. I've been sending you guys these pictures, <laughs> like cooking like proper meals that I have not taken time to do for myself for a long time. So I just want to make sure that I took this time and say thank you, Fernando. I know that you came on Discord really recently. But I know it was for many reasons, and I sincerely appreciate you helping me because it's changing my life. So thank you, dude. Hell yeah. That's the last one I got. All right. So it's my turn. Oh, shout outs from Facebook. So, see. All right. So, first one is from Vetli. Vetli. I hope I said your name right. He's like, hello, I listened to your latest episode of Client Mystery. You guys are fantastic. Keep it up. Then he asked us to make sure that we watch the documentary because it's so good. And he said, one guy from Norway have cracked codes in Shakespeare's work, and it all leads to Oak Island. So that's pretty cool. Gotta check that out. Of course, shout out to Stevik. Then, uh, then, uh, shout out to Ryan. He said, like, hey, y'all wanted to stop by and say thanks for putting out an awesome podcast. I recently just found it and have been 
been thoroughly enjoying it. And I have a I have an hour and a half drive one way to school, and listening to the show gives me a lot to think about on the drive. And then he said that he's waiting till after his wedding, November 15th, to join Patreon. So congrats on the wedding. And he says he's still waiting. Congrats. Waiting on a Bigfoot 2020 hoodie, even though it's over. He still wants one, it seems. <laughs> Bigfoot 2020. But uh, shout out to him. Shout out to Shamir. And then we have a very special shout out. All right, you guys, I'll, I'll start it. <laughs> All right, you started. We'll try to join birthday. in. Happy birthday. <laughs> We're so awkward. Happy birthday to you. you. <laughs> Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to birthday. you. <laughs> Happy birthday, dear Tyler. Happy birthday, Tyler. You, you, you. Happy oh. birthday to you, you, an amazing listener. We love you so very much, and we appreciate you. Oh, so cute, dick. <laughs> <Dude, they're right. laughs> <laughs> I love you, Tyler. <laughs> yeah, happy birthday, Tyler. I hope it's a good one. Yep. Happy birthday, man. Hope it's a good one. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure, dude. Happy freaking birthday. And Ellen, thanks for reaching out to us. We're glad that we can give a little birthday present from afar one that will be forever ingrained in the technology of the world anytime you're feeling sad tyler you just turn on this episode and you listen to this and you enjoy that beautiful serenading song (laughs) of our people (laughs) that's why we do podcasts and not sing oh yeah (laughs) but we love you dude Thank you for being a supporter, and we hope that your day today is absolutely amazing. Smile. Smile at strangers. Spread your love that you're feeling. Appreciate you, dude. Boom. Yep. Love you. Yes. Proud of you. Much love, man. Make sure to give Ellen a big old hug. Yes, for sure. Stay lifted. Eat that cooch. Eat that (laughs) cooch. All right. Well. It's the end of the show today. I want to thank everyone for joining us today. And again, thank you for your support. You are all amazing. Every single one of you. So with that being said, Dan and Anna, you want to roll us out? Sure will. You guys, my shit stopped recording. (gasps) Did it actually stop? (laughs) It stopped recording at like an hour, 10 minutes in. (sighs) Oh, no. (laughs) Fuck. Just kidding. <laughs> oh man. Oh man, that was that was good. I guess we had it coming. Cause oh Jesus Christ, I was about to fucking throw my laptop out this window. Dude. Oh. This is how we quit the this podcast. Is quit this is how it ends. Oh, uh, you guys prank me enough. I think it was about time. It it was. Yeah, that was, was. We'll give you that one. Oh you. my god! <laughs> I had a PTSD moment with certain people. Oh. <laughs> so did I. I couldn't even look at you guys. <laughs> I couldn't have a straight face. Oh. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> fuck it. I don't want to roll us out no more. <laughs> All right, it's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you're not alone. Anna will be. She keeps doing that shit. <laughs> 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 uh.
Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.